KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. An audit says the San Diego County Sheriff's Department failed to prevent in-custody deaths. San Diego jails have the highest mortality rate of any jail system in California. I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. Hate crimes in San Diego are rising. We know that that's just the tip of the iceberg for how others feel around town. And a number of performances and exhibitions to check out in the weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. The San Diego County Sheriff's Department has, quote, failed to adequately prevent and respond to the deaths of individuals in its custody. That's according to an investigation by California's state auditor. The audit, released on the day of outgoing Sheriff Bill Gore's retirement, suggests that legislative action be taken in order to improve the quality of correctional care in San Diego County jails. Joining me now is freelance reporter Kelly Davis, whose investigations into deaths at county jails led to the auditor's investigation. Kelly, welcome back to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. So before we get into what the report says, remind us why state auditors investigated the Sheriff's Department's oversight of San Diego County jails. As the audit points out, there have been 185 deaths in San Diego jails over the last 15 years. San Diego has not only the most deaths for a jail of its size, but in terms of mortality rate, San Diego jails have the highest mortality rate of any jail system in California. And as the auditor found, you know, a lot of these deaths were preventable. There were too many suicides. San Diego ranks pretty high in terms of suicides. And so there are a lot of deficiencies in medical and, and mental health care. The language used in the state auditor's report is unequivocal. I mean, what did the state say about why so many people are dying in county jails? 
Yeah, no, this is one of the more assertive audits I've seen from the state auditor. And the audit actually really focused on solvable problems that the auditors recognized as trends. So for example, deputies have not been doing proper safety checks. They're supposed to check once an hour to ensure that an inmate is alive, breathing, and healthy. But what they actually do is what inmates refer to as drive-bys, where they'll walk past a cell and they'll, they'll barely glance in. And uh, Jeff McDonald at the Union Tribune, who's been my colleague in, in reporting on this, we found this in so many cases where people will have been dead for hours in their cell because nobody has checked in on them. And perhaps a more thorough check earlier on in the day could have found that they were in distress or that they needed to be taken to the infirmary. But instead, they were kind of just left there and found hours after they died. The, you know, and the audit also highlighted the need for better mental health screening during the booking process and better follow-up on folks with chronic illnesses, such as heart conditions. So the audit outlines a, a number of failures uh, within the jails. Are they proposing any solutions? Statewide standards. So the statewide rules that guide jails and to how to, to care for the people in their custody, they found those standards are really insufficient for maintaining the safety of folks in custody. And so while they are making recommendations specifically for San Diego, you know, have a mental health clinician during intake, do a better job on following up with folks with chronic illnesses. They're also saying that the Board of State and Community Corrections, which is the entity that kind of oversees jails on the state level, they need to make stronger rules to ensure the welfare of inmates statewide. And the audit actually thinks the best way for that to happen is through legislation. So new legislation to kind of boost protections in jails to prevent more deaths like what we're seeing in San Diego. You know, in addition to lapses in inmate care, the report outlines the cost to taxpayers in court fees, legal settlements, and jury awards over the years. What can you tell us about that? And so as the audit notes, between 2006 and 2020, there were 22 lawsuits filed in San Diego related to deaths of incarcerated folks. And San Diego has settled 11 of those for a total of $9.2 million. So that's only through 2020. That figure, that $9.2 million figure, doesn't appear to include about $5 million in settlements that were made last year. So it's closer to $14, $15 million that taxpayers have paid in jail death lawsuits. And then there was also a lawsuit involving a young man who was seriously injured in jail. And I think that resulted in a $6 million settlement. How did the Sheriff's Department respond to this report? They didn't love it. They kind of attacked the messenger. You know, they questioned the audit's methods, which is something they've done with other outside reports. While they did agree with some findings and said that any death is a tragedy and that they'll make changes to reduce in-custody deaths, the state auditors called parts of the sheriff's response disingenuous and really questioned whether the department would be able to make durable change. And so, and that's why we get kind of the justification, you know, that jails can only be fixed by legislation just because of this resistance to change that we've seen over the years. As you mentioned, the report proposes those legislative fixes. What do you expect to see happen next? 
legislators released a bunch of statements yesterday after the audit came out. Senator Tony Atkins and Dr. Akila Weber, who had requested the audit, they called the findings deeply disturbing and they committed to work together to ensure recommendations are implemented. Assemblymember Chris Ward from San Diego, he also promised to work with folks in the legislature to find the best approach to implement the audit's recommendations. You know, you've told the stories of a number of people who died in custody in San Diego County jails. Um, We know activists have been pushing for this audit for years. Have you had a chance to speak to any family members or even community activists to hear their thoughts on this report? Yes, and they are so grateful for this. There's a group in particular, Standing Up for Racial Justice, the Racial Justice Coalition, who've really been pushing for an audit like this. They really rallied after the death of a young woman named Elisa Serna, who actually a nurse has been charged with manslaughter in that case. And so that really lit a fire to get people interested in this and push for some outside entity to come in and take a good hard look at what's going on in jails and So I think those community groups deserve a lot of credit for drawing renewed interest in this issue and working with uh, Akilah Weber to get this audit done. I've been speaking with Kelly Davis, a San Diego investigative reporter who covers San Diego County jails. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another hasn't. This is Port of Entry. The Parker Edison Project. Listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcast and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. Hate crimes increased sharply in San Diego and across the country in recent years. And as KPBS race and equity reporter Christina Kim reports, early findings show the trend grew even worse in 2021. Hate is on the rise in San Diego, and the examples are everywhere. Just last weekend, City of Coronado Director of Recreation and Golf Services Roger Miller and his wife Sandra Miller were filmed after allegedly hurling anti-Asian racist slurs towards an Asian-American couple while shopping in Orange County. Roger Miller is currently on administrative leave pending an independent investigation by the city of Coronado. His wife was fired from her job at a school in Temecula. We know that that's just the tip of the iceberg for how others feel around town. Jason Pagio is a Coronado resident and CEO and president of the Asian Business Association in San Diego. He was disturbed by Miller's behavior and the city's response. You know, this doesn't come out of nowhere. It's not out of a vacuum that, you know, people must have have heard his actions and what he had done in the past. Pagio has lived in San Diego County his whole life. He says the past few years have changed how he sees the region. Not the San Diego I know. 
um, and, and what I grew up in. So it's uh, really dis- disheartening. In the city of San Diego, the number of hate crimes reported by the San Diego Police Department nearly doubled last year. District Attorney Summer Steffen says her office prosecuted 30 hate crime cases in 2021 and received around 300 reports of hate incidents. We definitely saw a rise in hate crimes, even as compared with 2020, which was already quite an increase. But we we saw an even wider increase in 2021 and a race based hate crimes topped the list. This uptick in hate and hate crimes is not just happening locally. Brian Levin, director of the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at Cal State San Bernardino, says hate crimes in major U.S. cities went up 46 percent in 2021. So nationally, for instance, New York, L.A., uh, Chicago hit century highs, along with some other places. Nationwide, race-based hate crimes are still primarily directed against Black Americans. So in most cities... Anti-black is going to be the highest. And anti-black has been the highest nationally as long as we've been collecting data. But over the past few years, hate crimes against Asian Americans have increased the most. That number went up a whopping 339% nationwide in 2021. Levin says major events and political rhetoric contribute to spikes in hate. Stereotypes and bigotries that are directed against various groups, particularly racial groups, really get anchored in 2020. Anti-Asian with respect to COVID, anti-Black with respect to uh, the George Floyd lynching. Here in San Diego, the DA's office found that 12% of all hate crimes reported to them in 2021 were against Asian Americans. Stefan says this is likely an undercount. And they only capture a snapshot of the impact hate has on a community. Hate crimes have a ripple effect. They don't just make someone feel unsafe and and terrorized who is the direct victim. They make everyone in the that shares the identity, the race of that individual also feel unsafe. That feeling of not being safe is something that Pagio has been hearing from local Asian business owners. And it's taking a toll on him, too. It's very heavy hearing it, you know, as much as we have in the last couple of years here. Still, Pagio appreciates that the issue is being tracked and hopes it inspires people to action. We need allies across the board in every community. We need people standing up for us and being in solidarity with our communities. Christina Kim, KPBS News. Public radio programs attract educated consumers and business decision makers. You can reach this highly desirable audience with your company's marketing message on KPBS. Isn't it time to make our listeners your customers? Find out how by calling 619-594-5715 today. In the arts this weekend, we have classical music on a boat, a tap dancing and piano collaboration, a new play, and plenty of visual art. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, welcome. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. Tonight at the La Jolla Music Society, a world-renowned tap dancer and piano duo will grace the stage performing an impressive repertoire of compositions. Tell us about Conrad Tao and Caleb Tyker. Right. This is tap dancer Caleb Tyker, who is absolutely mesmerizing to watch. And then his frequent piano player collaborator, Conrad Tao, 
they routinely do performances together. I've, I've watched a few and sometimes it feels like the dance is informing the music more than the other way around. And they recently had a performance video collected in the Library of Congress. It's a performance set to a solo piano arrangement of Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. And even just listening, you can hear how how the floor and the tap dancing becomes part of the music too. They're performing at the La Jolla Music Society's Bakerbaum Concert Hall, and they'll do a set that starts with Bach, some original compositions, some jazz, avant-garde music, and the Gershwin as well. Conrad Tao and Caleb Tyker will perform Counterpoint tonight at 8 p.m. For a new art exhibition at City College's City Gallery, four artists were chosen because of how drawing has a role in their work, though the results aren't always drawing. Tell us about this one. Right. This is a group of four regional artists. There is Tatiana Ortiz-Rubio, who she works in large-scale murals most of the time, but a lot of her works use charcoal, so there's definitely a sketch element there. Another artist is Dakota Newt, who has these life-size foam core cutouts. Some of them are, are wearable that he tapes to his body, but Most of them in this exhibition are arranged as standing paper doll type sculptures in a sort of playscape inside their room. And the drawings on these are pretty fantastical and kind of grotesque too. There's Vicki Walsh, who does this sort of layered portraiture using oil paint, but in transparent layers to make this realistic skin effect. And her works are beyond realistic. It's like taking a close-up to the extreme and exaggerating the flaws or even making a face larger than life. And finally, Catherine Wayne. She is known for her large-scale black and white botanical or tree drawings. So yeah, all of these works start with or are somehow informed by drawing, but the exhibition has painting, sculpture, and mural as well. Selected Drawings opens on Saturday and runs through March 1st. In the theater, a new play opens at Signet called Life Sucks. It's a retelling of a play by Chekhov. Tell us about this one. Yeah, this is a play by playwright Aaron Posner, and it's a retelling of Chekhov's Uncle Vanya from 1898. Aaron Posner's kind of made a career out of adapting classic works into these absurd contemporary takes, including an adaptation of Chekhov's The Seagull. I can't say the full title on the radio, but it was Stupid Blank Bird. And Signet produced that one too in 2016. But in Life Sucks, it's basically a really dysfunctional dinner party with a complicated gathering of ex-friends, former lovers, current lovers, long-lost in-laws, and more. And plus, there's a dash of murder mystery. Mm. Life Sucks just opened at Signet Theater, and it will run through February 27th. The Hausman Quartet returns to the Berkeley ship at the Maritime Museum on Sunday for a concert. Tell us about this performance. Yeah, this is part of their Haydn Voyages series where they're making their way through all of Haydn's string quartet compositions. And for these concerts, which are quarterly, they also pair those with other composers. So people who were writing quartets around the same time as Haydn, but also contemporary composers. And for Sunday's selections, they have picked French romantic composer Germaine Taillefer and a composition she wrote in 1919. 
And then a new composition by contemporary multidisciplinary artist, Leila Adu. She is an avant classical and electropop performer and composer. And they're going to play her piece, If the Stars Align, which is stunningly gorgeous. The Hosman Quartet's Haydn Voyages Stars Align takes place Sunday at 2.30 p.m. at the Maritime Museum. Finally, a new exhibition at the La Jolla Historical Society invited artists to come in and explore their archives, then make new works of art with that. Uh, Tell us about Memory Traces, Artists Transform the Archive. This one is all put together by curator Elizabeth Rookledge, who also runs Herein, which is a new local visual arts journal. And she invited seven artists to rummage through the La Jolla Historical Society's archives, and they each made new works inspired by what they found. And it's all meant to be a study of memory and history, and also a way of making those things, history, collective. I have seen glimpses of a few of the pieces so far. They're incredible. Janelle Iglesias has built a wood frame structure. It's adorned with tangled branches and palm fronds. Joshua Moreno has has made a series of powerful sketches. Allison Weiss is working with this massive found banner about a daily matinee show. There's going to be a mixture of disciplines and also scopes. There's sculptures, there's smaller wall pieces, And some people are working directly with the archival content, and some of them are more conceptual. Memory Traces opens this weekend with gallery hours on Saturday and Sunday from noon to 4 p.m. It's on view through May 15th. You can find details on these and more arts events or sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS Arts newsletter at kpbs.org slash arts. As always, check with event organizers for last-minute changes or important COVID protocols. I've been speaking with KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, thanks. Thanks so much, Jade.